0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. Later, we will be joined by South Alabama outfielder Ethan Wilson. Very excited to talk with him about him his uh, his summer ball uh, progress, career, whatever, uh, how he's doing this summer, as well as uh, the the Jaguars uh, this season and and looking ahead into, into 2021. But before we get to, to Ethan, Joe, we're, uh, we're here in July. We're starting to get some information about what fall sports will look like. Uh, it's pretty clear that that information is going to continue to develop. And, uh, you know, we're not, what, what we say on this podcast may soon be out of date. We certainly went through that plenty of times earlier this spring, but, you know, it's too soon to make any sort of, you know, analysis of of how this is going to affect spring sports or anything, but you know, already we've had the Ivy league uh, say that they're not going to play sports in the fall semester and that they're going to look at moving fall semester sports to spring. We've seen the the big 10 say that they're only going to play conference games uh, for, for fall sports and the ACC isn't going to do anything until September 1st at the earliest. And, so all of that, I guess, is to say that these are situations that college baseball is watching closely, but, uh, you know, with the season not scheduled to start uh, for, you know, well over six months still, uh, that it's too early to, to know what, what the impacts of, of all of this are, but certainly something that, that is big news in the college sports world and, and of course, will ultimately have, have effects in the college baseball world as well.
2: Yeah, two things to keep in mind with that. This will not be the episode where where Teddy and I go through and really start to talk about those impacts. As he said, all that episode is, whether we like it or not, is surely coming down the pike at some point. But two things to keep in mind uh, with that is that Teddy and I can give you no specifics on how the spring baseball season will be affected. However, we can guarantee you that the baseball season is going to be affected in some way, maybe not necessarily from the scheduling decisions being made uh in, with regards to fall and winter sports right now, but certainly in terms of uh, you know the, the the schools dealing with budget constraints. I mean, we've already seen some of it with scheduling. So the season is going to be different than what you're used to in a typical college baseball season. That much is a guarantee. Exactly how much that has changed, we we don't yet know, and and really have no way of knowing. The other thing I'll say is that I don't know. Th- this could either be a bad thing or it could be a good thing. But typically. With, with college sports and that the suite of college sports that every school, every conference, what have you has, they tend to move a little bit in concert. And so I say all that to say that if we have huge disruptions to sports throughout the fall and in the winter, it obviously increases the likelihood that we're going to have a major disruption to the baseball season, whether it's because the calendar shifts wildly or one of the, imagine any number of doomsday scenarios for, for sports that could certainly have an impact. Or it could mean that, Hey, if, if football gets to have a season, if basketball gets to have some form of a season and we roll on into spring, it bodes well for baseball's ability to get out there and have their season. So these things tend to move a little bit in concert, with the exception of what happened in the spring when this all just kind of jumped on us right away and, and baseball ended up kind of getting the arguably the worst of it. Uh, with the exception of that, typically, um, you're not going to have a situation where, sorry, sport X or sport Y, you're out of luck, and everybody else is just going to go on with their season. So I say all that to say that you can kind of maybe see the way the winds are going. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean we will know as we get close to the baseball season which way the wind is blowing on that, and that will give us some tea leaves to read as we get closer.
0: Yes, I, I, would, I would agree with all of that. We'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, everyone's definitely still in that mode, even as you start seeing some decisions about the fall uh you know start to come out from you know again places like the Ivy League and the and the Big Ten and the acc Uh you know that that those answers that people are looking for uh you know we're gonna get more of them in in the weeks to come but even once we have some of those answers that they, they won't necessarily really let us know what's the going to be the effect on on spring sports and therefore on baseball uh until later. So we uh we will not be the source of your your this podcast, I should say. Will not be the source of your your analysis on that. Uh, we'll we'll hold tight and uh, wait for more of these decisions uh, to come out. And in the meantime, we're going to talk about summer ball, which uh, is of course going on around the country in in many leagues, even though several other leagues have uh, you know canceled their seasons. Uh, of course, most notably the Cape Cod League. And Team USA are are not playing this summer, but we do have baseball in in many leagues around the country. And uh, you know, Ethan Wilson is playing in one of those leagues. He's playing in a brand new league, a league that was created specifically for this moment uh, when some of the cancellations, you know, began happening. Uh, they they were able to put uh, the honor the game league together down in Mississippi, and uh, Ethan Wilson is is one of. Uh, a, a good group of players they have playing down there on the, they have, it's a four team league. Um, you know, they, they play a couple games a week at one site and, um, but it's uh if you look at the rosters down there, it's, it's a pretty good group, mostly drawing from schools like, you know, a, a Mississippi state or, or Ethan Wilson from South Al and, um, you know, Alabama has a lot of players in that league. So, you know, a kind of local regional um, players and, it's uh, you know, because that region has good college baseball, it's a good league. And uh, you know, so we're going to talk with him about that. But, uh, you know, I've written a fair amount about summer ball over the last week, uh, including a top 25 players to, uh, to watch uh, throughout the country this summer. Uh, Joe and I did that. And, um, you know, there are players in, in leagues that are in the Northeast and Florida out west, uh, you know, Texas, really all over the place. So, they what I learned from coming through many many rosters and while while working on on researching that is that there's there's a fair number of summer ball leagues still still being played and uh, you know some some good baseball out there. So, it uh it's an unprecedented summer certainly, uh, but there is there is still there are still a lot of players, premium players, out there that that are playing a lot. Have set the summer out, uh, but there are there are a lot of a lot of guys going out there and and getting whatever work, whatever reps, whatever games they can, uh, in in uh, mostly in in local leagues.
2: Yeah, it led to a situation. I got asked a couple of weeks ago at one of the Coastal Plain League games that I was at about where the where the centers of talent were in summer ball this year. And, and um, secondarily in the, in the coastal plain, what the talent level was like. And to the first question I said, well, there there really is no, there really is no center of talent this year because it is very localized and it really has the top talent spread all around. Um, So that's, I guess, kind of nice for some of these leagues. We talked about this possibility a few weeks ago before the leagues really started up the idea that leagues like well, this new one didn't exist where Ethan Wilson is playing, but a league on that type of level or the Texas Collegiate League has kind of seen it come up. Not only do they have more players and more talented players, they've got more teams than they normally have. That league has really um, hit, hit, you know, um, hit on something there. Uh, the Coastal Plain, you know, the way I responded to that was, you know, it's if for the local players. There's a better there is a better quality of local player there than I think there would be normally. I mean, I, I saw last weekend Ryan Cusick pitch for High Tom or <laughs> High Point Martinsville, the to High Toms. That's why I got tripped up there. You know, he's a pitcher, potential first-round pick next season. He's a type of pitcher that would not be in the Coastal Plain League in a normal season. If he had pitched through 2020, there's a possibility he's on Team USA. There's a, certainly a good chance he's in the Cape again. Um, he's, he's very likely not in the Coastal Plain League. And so there, you have that, but also because these teams are drawing local, you are seeing a lot of roster filler. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to those players because those players are probably just as excited to be on a team with a guy like Brian Cusick, for example. So um, the talent is, is very spread out. There's very, it's very striated. There's teams that are, that are really, really, certainly teams that are really, really talented. You wrote about the team in Orlando that is absolutely loaded and you can see that with, the number of guys in that top 25 ranking that you mentioned that were from that team. Um, But generally speaking, you have a smattering of players here, a smattering of players over there. And so while it is nice normally that we can look at team USA, we can look at the Cape and then maybe a couple of other leagues here and there for where to look for the best players playing in summer ball. If you're a fan of just being able to kind of spread the gospel of the game and college baseball in more places, This is giving that opportunity, perhaps. Um, It's on the margin, sure. I'm not saying it's going to be necessarily a game-changer for any of these leagues, but it has changed the complexion of what summer ball looks like for this summer anyway. I
0: I would say that in addition to the – like, yes, talent is much more spread out this year. There is no concentration. There is no one place where where these players are gathered this year. However, there are still a lot of, like, super teams or – teams that are clearly much better than the other teams in their league and you know some of that is just a matter of you know how summer teams are built and that has a lot to do with with contacts you know it's not like these leagues are built with parity in mind although, you know, in a brand new league, maybe that is how they did it i I don't precisely know how teams were chosen in the honor of the game league. Those rosters did look up to be slightly more even than than some leagues that I looked at. but you know the the team that you're referring to in Orlando, the Orlando Scorpions, uh, which I'm calling the best summer team in the nation because it has Judd Fabian and Robbie Martin, who are potential first round picks next year in its outfield, along with Reese Albert. Uh, you know, veteran Florida State starter. That that's the outfield, and then you know, Florida sent two thirds of its rotation to them. Jack Leftwich and Tommy Mace. Uh, Central Florida's ace is there. One of Central Florida's um, you know leaders in uh, appearances this spring is there. Kirby McMullen is there. Jacob Teeter, who was a Cape All Star last year, is there. There, you know, I can keep going. Like it's it's loaded. Uh, the rest of the Florida league doesn't necessarily look like that. That's not to say that there isn't talent throughout the rest of the league, but it's not a league full of all star teams like that one is. But you know, once Fabian and Martin signed on with the Scorpions, uh, and oh, by the way, that's the Orlando Scorpions are an existing you know, travel ball team at, at the high school and, and youth levels that Judd Fabian played for, uh, and Reese Albert played for, and Jack Lefrovich played for high school um you know so that helps draw them to there and then once guys like that sign on then everyone else is like well I want to get on that team and you know so it, it just that seems to have happened a fair amount this year or uh, another one of the best teams is the Santa Barbara Foresters which traditionally is the best team in the California Collegiate League the California League canceled but I guess I don't know the full story of, you know, Santa Barbara's local regulations, but they were able to continue playing apparently there uh, in a way that the league wasn't viable, but they could keep playing. So they're playing an independent schedule of like 30 games, and they got a lot of talent out, you know, in the the Southern California area. Uh, Matt McLean is on that team. Uh, Spencer Jones is on that team a couple other guys on that team that are are, you know high pick potential guys and um, you know that happens because well I mean there's a reason why Santa Barbara uh, Christian Franklin is on that team I knew I was forgetting somebody significant but there's a reason why Santa Barbara is consistently the best team in the California Collegiate League because people really respect what they do there and the coach and the whole setup and so if you have that and you're able to, you know, maintain that now, uh, you know, you can get a lot of really talented players. So because summer ball works in a lot of cases just based on relationships and, and that's how these teams form, like there were places that were able to take advantage of that. And so you wind up having concentrations within leagues that, you know, there, there were coaching staffs that clearly... Uh, we're more comfortable sending players to, to play for certain teams and, you know, players maybe that wanted to play together, you know, all the rest of this. And, and ultimately you have, you have some really outstanding teams. I just wish we could see them play each other rather than, you know, the Orlando Scorpions, you know, playing in Florida, Santa Barbara Forester's playing in Santa Barbara and the Tulsa drillers playing in Oklahoma. Like, there, there's no way to bring them all together and um, you know have them all play each other. I assume the National Baseball Congress has been canceled this year I the, the typical end of summer um, tournament that, that brings a lot of, of summer ball teams from various leagues together I, I assume that's been canceled I, I really should look that up but uh, you know it's it, it's not like it typically is where and, and this is not good this might be good individually for these leagues for these teams it's definitely not good for scouting uh and because you you can't just roll into team usa in the cape and have seen most of the significant players play in that summer uh so that it's not good for that it's also iffy for developmental purposes i suppose because if all the talent is on one team then what are you facing around you and yeah, so that's not great, but I don't know how much development is truly happening this summer anyway, because of the uniqueness, how much layoff there was. And a lot of this summer, I think, is just going to be about getting up to game speed. Uh, Ethan Wilson is going to talk about that a little bit, about just how hard it was after a three-month layoff to to get back to facing live pitching in a game environment. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a little bit of, of just God shaking the rust off before they can really you know, attack true developmental goals uh, anyway, but the fact that you're then facing uneven competition probably isn't amazing for developmental purposes either.
2: Yeah, I mean, just quickly on that, I've, I've kind of always thought that, and, you know, you'll you'll have players individually tell you, and I believe them when they say this. I'm not suggesting they're, they're lying or anything, but they'll come in saying, well, the goals are kind of the same for summer ball. Like, I, I want to get better. I want to work on this. I want to come back to campus being better at this or that or the other thing. And I just don't know that a lot of that is going to be achievable maybe in some side work. I mean, I think it's no, no um, certainly it's no coincidence. And you, you know, mentioned this a little bit in your story. It's no coincidence that coaches are very comfortable sending guys to play for Tom holiday in Tulsa because he's Tom holiday. And I think there are instances of that as well as you go around. So maybe in some individual work, you can get some of that stuff done, but in terms of getting, you know, a bunch of reps against other similarly talented players. Like, yeah, that's just development through that means is probably not going to be viable in, in a lot of places. Um, It's funny. You mentioned that just on the, the Matt McLean thing, I I'm working on um, working on something on Matt McLean right now. And I was talking to him a couple weeks ago and he was clearly in the car when I was talking to him and, and uh, you know uh, as happens, you know, you interview somebody while they're, they're in the car and, he was like, yeah, I'm actually on my way up to Santa Barbara to play right now. And I just remember thinking like, how and where, like, what are you like? And I didn't ask because we were, you know, he rolled on to, you know, whatever he was answering my question was, And I didn't want to just co-opt the conversation to move it in a different direction. I was, you know, uh, you, you know, you just, I didn't want to just make the conversation about that, but, but I was just remember thinking well, that's weird. I don't know what he's, I thought maybe he was going to meet, someone who he was going to work out with or, you know, what have you. I thought that was kind of kind of the um the deal there. But and it turns out not. He's playing on the super team in Southern California. And the last thing I'll say, and I think this will maybe segue as well into the interview with Ethan, is that um that being said, I mean he's found a good thing with a, a local league down there that's going to get him out there to kind of knock some of that rust off as you mentioned. But but I'm certainly disappointed uh that he's not going to get the opportunity at the Cape because it for a player like him at a school like South Alabama, um, these are big opportunities for players from programs like that. And he's well-established. It's not like he's going to be a pop-up guy in the draft who'd be like, Oh, what is this guy down at South Alabama and South Alabama is also several steps above kind of a typical mid or low major program. People know that program, but for if you're not coming from one of these major programs, it, these are big opportunities for you to prove yourself, prove yourself against really tough competition. He's just not going to have that opportunity before he goes into the draft. I mean, I think of a guy like Colton Cowser who got that shot with Team USA last summer and really cemented himself as one of the elite guys in that class. And Ethan Wilson, I don't think anybody's going to change their opinion overnight on him, but it's just a missed opportunity for a player like him to get that type of showcase. and That's always going to be disappointing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it is unfortunate for him. I'm not concerned about it for him because we all know who he is right now, but uh, there are those players that are a touch below what he is. Uh, especially that, you know, just aren't going to have that opportunity and therefore are going to miss, you know, breakout opportunities. Uh, you know, they're, they're just not going, you know, maybe they'll break out in the spring, maybe they won't, uh, but you know, there are guys up there every year that make names for themselves that, you know, yes, it's not like they might they might not be coming from way off the radar, they might have been on the radar, but... They're able to perform in front of high-level decision makers, and you know that's sometimes you know critical to getting yourself into a different level of, of draft prospect, or just you know getting you know that 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 impression you know can stay with guys, and you know so the, there are players like that, and I don't even know who they are this year that that we're missing. Uh, that that opportunity, you know, I mentioned Jacob Teeter playing, being a Cape All Star, and now playing for this Orlando team. Like Jacob Teeter plays for Florida Southern, uh, which is a really good Division Two program, but it's it's a Division Two program, and uh, you know he certainly would get scouted without having been a Cape League All Star. But you know, I wouldn't know who he is necessarily. Uh, I wouldn't have known who he was this time last summer without him playing on the Cape. That's for sure. Um, you know, and, and even you think of it at the, at the absolute high end, you know, Nick Gonzalez was the top prospect on the Cape last year. I talked all spring about how, you know, stop doubting whether Nick Gonzalez's hitting ability is real, whether it's a creation of New Mexico state and whether it's a creation of, of altitude or the whack or whatever, like, stop it. Like look at what he did in the Cape. If he doesn't get that opportunity, like, I'm not going to be as forceful about that. That's for sure. And, you know, other people within the industry are probably going to always just kind of wonder about, you know, like, well, what about the altitude? What are, are we, are we sure? Are we sure we're sure? And, you know, so not having that opportunity is, is really unfortunate for a lot of players um, and, and players that, I can't even necessarily point to right now. I can point to some of them, like Levi Usher at Louisville, uh, outstanding start to the season, potential first round pick next year. But a lot of people right now are wondering like, okay, was that, was that fluky? Can you do that over a full season? And even if you didn't get the full season, like at least maybe if he'd gone to the Cape and continued doing, you know, big things on the Cape, people have, it, it would have come around like, okay, well, you know, this is legit. He's doing this against premium pitching up here, blah, blah, blah. Like we're not, we're not seeing that right now. Um But again, I, I'm not concerned about Levi. I'm sure he'll prove it or not next year in the ACC. So they, it's, it's players that I don't even really know who they are right now that, that truly missed the opportunity. But I, one thing before we get to uh Ethan Wilson is for one of the stories I wrote this, this last week, uh, just about like what players and their college coaches are hoping they get out of this summer. Kind of you know, generally this topic we're talking about now. I talked with Mike Bianco at Ole Miss, and he basically was like, "Look, as long as they're doing something, that's that's what we care about right now. I don't care if they're playing in the Northwoods League, as some of his players are. I don't care if they're playing in a local league in Jackson, Mississippi. I don't even really care." if they're not doing either of those things, if they're just working out here in Oxford, where he has, I think he said about 20 players, um, you know, are are just spending their summer in Oxford, hitting in in their facility, you know, lifting in their weight room. As long as they're doing something, uh, you know, right now, like that's just what we need them to be doing, that everyone's in their own spot, everyone's in their own developmental spot. We can't worry about, you know, making sure that they're getting however many at-bats or that they're working on this or that, like they just need to be out doing what they need to do, what they're comfortable doing and, um, you know, getting some baseball action in whatever, whatever that means. And I, you know, in, in this year, um, you know, I think that's true most summers, but uh, especially in this year, um, you know, yes, there, there are reps to be made up for, from the spring, but, you know, summer reps are different anyway. And just as long as guys are doing something this summer, I I think that that just has to be looked at as a a pretty significant positive right now. All right. And so with that, let's get to someone who is uh, who is getting some of those reps in this summer uh, with uh, with Ethan Wilson. Today, we are very excited to welcome South Alabama outfielder Ethan Wilson to the Baseball America College podcast Ethan, obviously, uh, it's, it's been a, a strange year for you, but we're, uh, we're happy to be able to talk some baseball here uh, today.
1: Yeah, thank you guys for, for having me.
0: So this summer, uh, you know, part, of, part of the reason we wanted to have you on is you're, you're playing this summer uh, in a, a league down down in Mississippi called the, uh, the Honor of the Game League. And that was a league that just kind of popped up this spring uh, as all the cancellations were coming in, you know, the Cape and, and various other leagues, they, they were able to to make a league work. So this it was not your original summer plan. Uh, when, uh, when did the opportunity to come uh, play in this league come about and, and how, um, you know, how did you, you end up playing uh, the summer down there?
1: Yeah. So um obviously I was um, I planned on going to the Cape to play before uh, the Corona came and quarantine happened. And um, I didn't really know uh, what the Cape's plans were. Um, I I wasn't very confident that, that we were still going to play, but I was still um, hoping that we we, we were going to find a way to, to be able to play. But so I I was just hanging out um, in Andalusia uh, where I'm from. And, uh, Joe Caruso sent me a text um, he's he founded the the East Coast Sox organization and he was like hey would would you be willing to um, play in in a wood bat league if we were able to uh, find enough guys to to play and you know I basically just told him that uh, I would for sure be willing to um, as long as you know the cape were to get canceled so um, it was kind of cool uh, knowing that you know, no matter what happened with the Cape, I, I had I had some type of ball to play this summer. So it it really just happened um, out of the blue. I, I really wasn't expecting um, this to to happen, but you know, it's it's a blessing and it's just I'm just grateful to be able to to be playing baseball. What was the lead up to that like? So between the time the spring season, your
2: season at South Al got canceled and when you knew you were going to be playing summer ball what was that time in between like in the springtime it's been weird for all of us I know but from the standpoint of you managing trying to get as much baseball activity in as you can um, managing the schoolwork side of it which had to be a little bit unique not to mention just that you've got all this time on your hands I'm I'm curious what the springtime was like for you
1: yeah it it was it was different for sure Um, I can remember uh, we were on the way to Atlanta to play Georgia State, and had stopped in Greenville to eat. And you know, we got back on the bus, and Coach Calvi came and basically told us he was like, "Guys, I, I mean, I, I don't really know what's what's going on right now, but for now, our our season is postponed." And you know, at that at that moment, it was just kind of like, "What? Like what? What what's happening right now?" Because you know, there wasn't any bad weather coming in. I mean, it was just weird because it was like we were we were playing one day and then the next day, you know, the whole world is um, at just a a stop pretty much. So um, I just remember that feeling being told on the bus and then, um, you know, obviously you get on Twitter and everything's blowing up. um, We see that uh, our season is canceled. um, And, you know, coach basically just told us to go home and he would let us know when to come back and, um, so at that point, it was kind of like I was on summer vacation already. I mean, I came home and obviously i was I was depressed just like any other college baseball player was at the time. But my family has has really helped me um, you know, I have a really good support system um, just trying to trying to have a routine has helped me a lot like i'll I'll make myself wake up at a certain time in the morning and you know, just go do something like I'll go for a walk or go work out. And then um, in the afternoon, I'll usually knock out some schoolwork. And then I'm lucky enough to have a place to go lift and to go hit. So I'm just trying to stay as busy as possible right now. Uh, these the circumstances aren't good, but I'm in a much better position than a lot of people are uh, with all this stuff going on. So <clears throat> you know i'm i'm not happy that our season got canceled but i'm also grateful uh for this time i have with you know my family um being home i'm i'm starting to work with some some kids so it's good seeing them um every day and just being around uh people that i wouldn't be able to be around at this time so i'm i'm just trying to to have a positive outlook on it and um, all things in consideration, I mean you know i have I have it a lot better than most people do right now, so you
0: you had a few months off of of playing any sort of games there between the end of the the spring season and the start of the summer. What kind of uh, ramp up period did did you need to have and and what did you do just to get back ready to to start playing games again
1: yeah um so. I have like I said obviously I have a facility but you know basically all I was doing was was getting some T work in and I knew the first couple of games would be horrendous at the plate especially like getting my timing down and and I accepted that I mean I knew that I would fail early on and you know it was just kind of uh, the first four games I think I, I did terrible honestly like I I wasn't playing well at all, but but I accepted that and I knew that it would get better. So I just kind of used those couple of games as um, practice, some extra practice, and now I feel good again. But um, as far as um, like hitting at home goes, it was tough because, like I said, it was just me and a tee usually. But you know, my dad would would do some some front toss, and we have a machine that throws like little rubber balls, which is not the same as baseballs, but at least I was able to do something, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't that bad at all. Um, I feel, I feel really good now. So I'm curious what this summer has been like, just from the the logistics
2: standpoint of everybody's being a little bit more careful. You know, I'm sure that, that there's some sort of guidelines you guys are, are kind of following day to day and all that. And, you know, I I suppose a lot of guys are local and that makes it a little easier, but what has that experience been like just the logistics of being able to play and also trying to be careful about being cognizant of of the things you're doing and how they affect others?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been different. Um, Especially in the dugouts, you know, when we're, when we're playing, we're supposed to be six feet apart or, or whatever uh, the guidelines are. But, you know, most of the time we're giving each other high fives and I mean, we're, we're teammates you know we want to we want to get to know each other, but uh, so it's been different for sure um, i think I think everybody's doing a really good job of trying to normalize everything the best that they can uh, just kind of roll with it for now until um, we find a way to uh, maneuver around all of this that's going on but that was a good question i I don't really um, I try not to to kind of get in the way of somebody that I feel like could be harmed by the, the virus. Um, I know, I know my family, um, especially my grandparents, like it's been, it's been hard on us because we're kind of staying away from them right now. Uh, not, not able to to have any interaction with them or anything. So that's been tough for me, but.
2: You, um, you
0: guys play twice a week there and that gives you a lot more free time this time of year. Are you, are you still taking classes or, or how are you kind of occupying this, uh, this extra time that you have since it's not quite a, a daily league?
1: Yes, sir. I am taking uh, two summer classes and taking a, a history and a psychology class. So that, that gives me something to do. Um, and then, like I said, like my dad gives lessons to uh, some younger kids. So, in afternoons I'll go up there and and help them. And um, so that's been nice too. Uh, But I do have a lot more free time than I'm used to right now. And sometimes it drives me, drives me insane. Like I feel like I should um, go work out. And sometimes I'm working out twice a day and my body feels like crap the next day because I need to rest. But it's just, it's you just find a way to, you just find what works best for you, honestly. And, that's what I've been doing the last couple of months is just, you know, developing um, a routine that kind of fits, um, fits me and works best for me. So.
0: We're, uh, we're still, I don't actually know how far out we are from the 2021 draft because they haven't announced when it'll be yet, but we're still <laughs> a long ways away from, from the draft. Uh, but you already have some, some buzz as a you know, potential first round pick next year. You know, do you, do you look at any of that stuff, and and what do you feel like you need to work on between now and then to to reach whatever your goals are in terms of the draft?
1: Yeah, uh, obviously, I mean, you know, Twitter Twitter is a dangerous thing, but I'm 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 gonna look at at Twitter and and I do see that stuff. Um, you know, I see the numbers and all that, but you just try try not to to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, obviously. I had a really good year my freshman year but you know i was struggling this year and um i feel like i feel like me struggling has kind of uh made me want to made me hungry or like it, it made me want to work harder when i came home and just um not take anything for granted so i do i do look at at the the 2021 um draft and the top prospects and all that kind of stuff but i try not to to get into all that too much because uh, a lot can happen between between now and the draft. But um, as far as my weaknesses and you know getting getting ready for the draft, I feel like um, my approach. I've been working on that some more because my freshman year I had a lot more strikeouts than walks, so that's one one area of my game that I need to improve in. And then, um. Just being a better teammate all around, you know just um not getting so caught up in myself in the draft, but just uh, worrying more about South Alabama and um, what what we can do as a team this year because we have a lot of guys coming back uh, we're gonna be uh, a lot older we're gonna we're gonna have a lot more experience, so that's really um the most uh, the thing I'm most excited about is just the the overall um team that we have coming back this year.
2: One of the things that you notice when you look at 2021 draft rankings is the presence of yourself. And there's actually another guy in Colton Cowser from Sam Houston state who, you know, you guys are both at schools that people don't necessarily think about when they think about first round draft picks. And I'm curious what, what you've accomplished already at South out, what that says to players who are kind of coming up in the South, growing up in places like you did that are very SEC focused and then ACC kind of behind that what that says right. to players about being able to take a path that doesn't have to go through those two conferences.
1: Yeah. Um, man, I, you know, I knew being from, from Andalusia, the small town and, and I, I didn't really get a lot of recognition coming out of high school. So it it was, it, it's not something that um um used to is, you know, getting, getting all this recognition is nice, but, you know, this is really the only time that it's happened to me. So that's something that I've had to learn how to deal with and learn how to um, cope with. But as far as um, the developing aspect, like, you know, some guys develop faster than others. I mean, you see guys now getting looked at when they're 11 or 12 years old, you know, like I never, I mean, I was batting ninth on my middle school team because I was probably the worst player on the team. But you know, I kept working, I kept grinding, and um, developed into a pretty good player, you know, I still have a lot to learn, I still have a lot of work to do, but I just, I, I don't think being from a small school or a small town really means anything in the long run, you know, because um, especially in baseball, I mean, we play, you know, we play SEC teams every year, I mean, yeah, like, we're facing their midweek guy, but, you know, there's really nothing, um different from you know us and and them you know they they have better better arms than us obviously but as far as the the and the mentality and all that goes like baseball is in a in a category of its own um anybody can play with anybody anybody can beat anybody on any given day so i i just i mean if I, if i were to say anything to the guys that that are coming from a small town or a small school like you know, none of that stuff matters. Um, if you work hard and you have confidence in yourself, then you know all that stuff will, will take care of itself. So,
0: can you tell me more about middle school baseball player Ethan Wilson? Like, what was the scouting report then uh, that, that led you to be <laughs> uh, the worst no. player on the team, and now you're you're sitting here as one of the better players in the nation?
1: Yeah. So, baseball. Um, I, I was always. I always played all three sports and um, when I was younger basketball was my passion like I was a pretty good basketball player but then like the older I got I was like yeah I, I don't I don't stand a chance of playing at the next level with with basketball so I started putting more time into to baseball into football and middle school it was especially my seventh grade year because that was the transition from the the little league fences to the to the big boy field and i i can remember just being absolutely terrible like if i hit one out of the infield i was stoked and um yeah i batted ninth on that so we had, we had a pretty good team though i'm not criticizing myself but i'm just saying i it took a long time for me to to get used to playing on on the bigger size fields and um but yeah like people develop uh i mean like i, I know some guys who didn't develop till they were in college, you know. So it's just it took some time for me to develop and to to learn how to play on on the bigger fields. But I was I was a tra I was a tragedy in in middle school. They I didn't really have a scouting report. They just throw it down the middle and get them out. <laughs> so you obviously made up for a little bit of lost time here, and
2: and now you you come into South Al and you you come in right in the footsteps of Travis Swaggerty, who folks know is first round draft pick and. Uh, did a lot of good things uh, with South Al. So was that when you came in, kind of in his footsteps, ended up manning the outfield like he did? Did you look at that as more as, "Hey, cool, I, you know, I'm taking over for this guy who did this, that, and and whatever at South Al," or was it like, "Are you serious? Like, I have to take over for this guy, like this guy who did all these things here?" I'm curious where on the spectrum that fell for you coming behind Travis Swaggerty.
1: You know, I never really, um, I never really thought of it that much when I got to to South Al. Um, yeah, it, it was really cool seeing you know a guy like like Swag go um, in the first round just because he's he's from South. But um, I've met him a couple of times, and you know he talked to me like I was just another human, you know. And and it wasn't it wasn't any different for me. I feel like once once I um, once I established a spot in left field and and really gained some confidence, I never really um, thought about the pressure that I was under having to replace a guy like, like Travis. So it wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. Um, And, and I I credit that to the teammates that I had my freshman year. I mean, they treated me like, like I was one of them, you know, the first day I stepped on campus, they were, um, you know, they treated me as an upperclassman. So to say, like, I felt like I was, I was a leader and um, they just, they respected me even though I was a freshman. So, that gave me the confidence I needed to to be successful. But uh, yeah, I mean, Swag is, is a good player, obviously. But um, I don't I don't think I was I don't think I ever really really thought about it like that.
0: When you look at uh, you know what the the Jags have coming back next year, you know, what what excites you about the 2021 team and what do you guys have to do to get to regionals? Uh, you know, which I guess would be your first trip to the NCAA tournament uh, at, yeah. in your career.
1: I think the, the one thing that excites me the most is just the experience that we have. Um, you know, we got Mike Sandal, the center fielder. Uh, he's been a dude for us for two or three years now. Uh, Dale, you know, Reed and, and all those guys that have been through it. They've been through the ups. They've been through the downs. And, and they just know we, we know how to handle you know, whatever situation um they, they they comes at us. So I think that excites me the most. And we have we have some good guys coming in. Um, you know, we have a really good freshman class coming in. I think there's eight or nine guys that are all good. So it's gonna be a battle in the fall. It's gonna be fun. Um, but yeah, I I think the one thing that, that separates this team from the team, my freshman year especially, is just the experience that we have. Um, you know, Santi Montiel, he's he started at, at shortstop as a freshman, and you know, obviously, shortstop is a very important position. So he's been through it. He's, you know, he's um, had some some good days and some bad days. So he knows how to how to handle everything that comes at him. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think I think this will be um, a really really fun year for us.
0: Awesome. Well, we are looking forward to seeing what you guys can do uh, next year and and what your development looks like and. Uh, all the rest of that. But, you know, hopefully uh, you, you can have a, a good rest of the summer uh, as well, because, you know, summer ball, that development is important uh, you know, for, for everyone around the country uh, who, who's able to be out playing. So we appreciate you taking the time from, uh, from your schedule, from, from your, your playing and your, your coaching and everything else you're doing uh, to talk <laughs> to us here on the
1: podcast today. Absolutely, guys. Thank you all so much for having me.
0: Thank you again to South Alabama outfielder, Ethan Wilson, um, one of the uh, top 10 players and uh, college players in the, in the draft class, according to the baseball America top 100 college players for the 2021 draft list we released last week. Uh, I believe Ethan Wilson uh, checked in right there at number 10 uh, and, you know, that was a really interesting conversation uh, we, we had with Ethan and Joe. Um, I, uh, yeah, you know, it was it was just interesting to hear how and I've been interested, all the college players I've talked to so far this summer, just what they did this spring and then how they ramped up to to play in the summer. Um, you know, because it's not easy going from you know, you're you're in mid form in March, then you have to stop for three months, and now you're playing again. Like that it's that's a lot to go through uh and, and just hearing how they all kind of went about trying to make that transition has, has been uh, a real interesting subject for me.
2: Yeah. And he, he seemed to have a good, kind of a good handle on it. Like I thought, I thought the way he spoke about how this summer came about, what he was doing before that, how he's, you know, approaching the summer more generally was, I think he's got, he's taking a good, uh, a good approach to it just because I, he, He's coming into it, I think, a little bit – I'm struggling with my words here because I, I don't want it to come off as a as a some sort of backhanded comment because I don't mean it that way. But he's coming in with the right attitude about it, I think. It do, he doesn't seem to be too, putting too much pressure on what he's accomplishing this summer. He wasn't putting any sort of grandiose goals against it. He wasn't – when you ask him what he was working on, he he wasn't – he didn't give you seven or eight things. Um, and And some of that is probably just because, you know – playing his cards close to the vest a little bit. I mean, some of that maybe he hasn't really gotten to yet. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why that that is, but I also think it's important that he is coming at it from that standpoint. And the reason I was being careful with my words there is I don't want that to come off as he's just out there to have a good time and mess around with you know, mess around on the ball field all summer, although I'm sure he's enjoying being out on the field. I I just meant that to say he seems to have a good grasp on what this summer is about, what he's looking to do. Um, you know, kind of what's important. He mentioned a lot of, Hey, it's kind of nice to be home and be around family. And uh, yeah, it sucks that I, we can't see my grandma, but we're doing what we have to do here. Um, He just seemed to have a really good head on his shoulders about everything going on and about what he was doing this summer. What was accomplishable if that's a word uh, this summer versus, you know, uh, and then kind of taking it one day at a time to use a cliche there. So I really appreciated that he was coming at it that direction um, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, you can imagine somebody in his case, especially someone who lost a season, who is as highly touted as he is to really just kind of try to go a hundred miles an hour, trying to make this summer, anything and everything to make up for lost time. And that's probably to our previous point, just not something you can spend this summer doing.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And you know, he he does seem to to have a a really good understanding of what this summer can be and what, just as importantly, what it can't be. Um, you know, so that that's uh, that that was interesting to to hear. I was also uh, obviously he, he piqued my interest when he said that he was the worst player on his team in, in middle school, and just to to think about that kind of development to go from hitting ninth on even what he's calling a a, a good team. And then you know turning into you know a freshman all American at South Alabama within you know five or six years like that's a that's a very impressive developmental arc, obviously everyone develops at their their own speed you know we know that you know some players are are famous when they're in middle school, like Bryce Harper, and then they go on to be amazing players, some players are not, and you know they're they're developed more in in high school or later and even in, in, in some cases but uh, you know I, uh, I can relate to being not particularly great in middle school. I, I cannot relate to, uh, to then going on and, and becoming a, you know a, a potential first round pick
2: Yeah uh, same here certainly uh, was not, I was not uh, clicking refresh on sites like ours to see where I ranked in the draft rankings when I was coming out of high school. Uh, that was not a thing for me. Certainly. Um, yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned the, the different trajectories of development. and I think that was important for him to say because you and I probably don't get this stuff in our DMs or Twitter messages or asked in person as someone like Carlos who covers the draft or even someone like Ben Badler who's covering, you know, younger prospects coming out of Latin America. But, but I will still get asked occasionally by like a younger kid in – Early in high school or something like, how do I get myself in front of, um, whether it's college coaches and, and recruiters or scouts for big league clubs, whatever it is. And I'm not really the person to be asking that question to to begin with, but I always just try to say, just get be be as good as you can, really put work into the craft, and understand that the rest is probably going to take care of itself. And that's kind of what he echoed. So it was first of all, I was relieved that's the advice he's giving kids because now it makes me feel like okay, that was good advice I was giving them. Um, but it also just kind of hammers home the idea that, um, most players are not finished products as early in the process as people, as the players begin to be evaluated. And I think every, you could ask anybody who played baseball growing up to give you an example of a player they knew who was an absolute superstar at 12 years old, who amounted to very little from a baseball standpoint and a story of a person who, um, was not very good at that point, who became great later on. And also, by the way, they probably know somebody who was very good at that point and continued to be great. I think everyone who grows up playing the game has different versions of those stories. And yet, there is immense pressure. This is a separate podcast. This is, you know, a little bit of tangential here. But, and yet, there's just immense pressure on, you know, once you get to a certain age that you just, and and I don't think anyone necessarily, maybe – just kind of the system that has been created puts pressure on these kids. But most of this pressure is just resides within themselves because these kids want to be great and get to this certain level. But there's an immense amount of pressure on these kids in their heads to be finished products right when they first get to that age. And the reality of the situation is that most of them just aren't or, and and furthermore, it's probably better that you're not <laughs> close to a finished product at that early age. And Ethan Wilson's a great example of a guy who by his own admission was not going to be uh, not going to be that type of guy early on. and oh, by the way, I mean, I talked about how he, he's going to end up coming through South Alabama versus Alabama, Auburn, pick your SEC or ACC team. Um, I'm sure we did not ask him, but I am sure if some of those SEC programs had been more interested at some point in the process, that uh, he would have been interested as well. So it's, it's not even just like, um, you know, he's clearly a high-level Division One player, but there are even degrees when you get to that point. Of it, so uh, interesting conversation to be had there for sure, just about different developmental paths and the paths that that players take, and we see it every year. Sure, is it easier if you're going to an SEC program? Absolutely, but that is far from the only path to get where you ultimately want to get. All right, let's
0: uh, let's hit on a little South Al talk here uh, for for the Jags fans that that tuned in uh, for Ethan Wilson. So South Alabama this year was off to an eight and 10 start, which doesn't sound that great. But if you dig into the numbers a little deeper, uh, seven of those losses were against SEC teams. They played eight SEC games already, which I mean at one and seven, I don't know if I can declare South Alabama, the SEC champs, like, um, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that they, they might be. <laughs> um, but Joe, given what they have coming back next year, obviously starting with Ethan Wilson, Um, you know, what what are you kind of looking at uh, in terms of of the Jaguars and uh, where where they stack up in the Sun Belt?
2: Yeah, I really – I'm kind of with Ethan when he talks about liking what they have coming back. I I really like what they have coming back offensively, assuming they hold on to it. I mean, I know there's – I guess theoretically there still are opportunities for some of these upperclassmen to – work out something where they end up moving on to pro ball. So I don't want to completely dismiss that, but, but at this point, I think we have to assume that most of that movement has already, has already happened, but assuming they get back the guys that are slated to come back, I really like what they have offensively. It starts with Ethan Wilson, obviously. uh, But he mentioned Reed Powers. Uh, You know, I, I really like Michael Sandel. He's just a really nice college player um, offensively for them. Santi Montiel, who wasn't swinging it great uh, to begin the season but he's a really steady guy they have. So I really like that offensive player group that was not off to a very good start. You mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned the competition. It's part of the reason why they were hitting 202 as a team, even though a couple of guys, Sandal and Powers in particular, were off to really nice starts. But um, the question is going to be on the pitching side and they lose Drake Nightingale. Drake Nightingale has already signed as a free agent. He was their workhorse has been the last couple of years. If he was coming back, you could really talk me into South Al as a team that could compete at the top of the top of the sunbelt alongside uh, coastal Carolina. Certainly I'm also intrigued by uh, Louisiana or Louisiana Lafayette, if you will. Um, Just given that it's another year during this process of rebuilding with Matt Deggs, I'll be really interested to see what roster they bring back because you know, he was already in the process of turning over some of that roster. And now you wonder if what happened in 2020 stunts that or accelerates it or neither, somewhere in the middle, we'll have to see. But if you bring Nightingale back, I really like what they have because you've got a workhorse that you can throw out there on Friday nights. And the best teams that South Alabama has had in recent years have been good offenses. And pitching-wise, they typically don't have like big-time dudes on the mound in terms of draft status stuff, things like that. But the best teams they've had have had those good offenses mixed with one or two guys in the rotation who are going to give you a ton of innings. They're going to be durable. They're going to be just good enough to win you games. I'm thinking of uh, Kevin Hill several years ago, Randy Bell in previous years, and Nightingale has been that. So you take him out of the equation, and now you're looking at you know a guy like Jojo Booker, who came to campus as a really highly regarded recruit. Hasn't quite put it all together, although 2020 was kind of promising. Uh, you know, he, his walk rate was a little bit lower than it had been. Um, strikeout rate was good. Um, opponents sitting 229 against him. So, I maybe given a full 2020 season, we would have fully seen it from him. And maybe that would have catapulted South Allen to a position to compete for the postseason. But so I, I am really kind of um, curious to see what they have on the mound. And I think if w- without someone stepping up and kind of being a front of the rotation workhorse for them, if they have to kind of mix and match on the weekends as they did last year, you know, I have trouble seeing that they're going to be able to be the type of team that they were when they got at large bids and believe it was 17 and 18 or 16 and 17. It was definitely back-to-back years there, but um, because the offense is good enough. I think the offense is definitely good enough. I just have questions about what they're going to get on the mound, especially when you're talking about front end of the rotation starters.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. You know, they had, you know, they're hitting 202 as a team. Uh, they also had a five and a half ERA as a team. And to me that's the more concerning number than the the two oh two. That could definitely see that turning around, can definitely see that turning around next year. They're gonna have, you know, some legitimate stars back on offense, but you're taking your best pitcher off of a team that already was scuffling on the mound. So that's that's gonna have to be addressed. I would also say that I feel like maybe maybe this is a feeling i'm wrong about but i feel like when south isle has been at their best they've had like big time arms in the bullpen not necessarily power stuff but like numerous relievers like that it was more like they were pitching from the back um that like yeah they had that workhorse at the front but that they had guys in the bullpen that they could reliably multiple guys they could reliably count on for multiple innings and just you know, so they're they have some guys like that still right now, I think, but they're going to – I I think they need to develop that a little bit better uh, or prove that their starters don't need that. Um, yeah, you know, So I'll be interested to see what they look like on the mound. The Sun Belt all of a sudden seems to be getting better again after hitting a little bit of a, a, a valley right after Coastal comes into the league as the national champions. Um, you know, you you mentioned what Deggs is is starting to do at uh, in Lafayette, and you know Georgia State seemed to be better this year. Obviously, it was early, very early, but they seemed like they were maybe moving in a better direction this year with the again a new coaching staff. And uh, you know, Coastal remains Coastal, and Troy remains Troy, and uh, you know, Georgia Southern has has been a little more consistent of late and, and they're definitely always a, a program to, to be reckoned with as is a, someone like UTA. So you know, things are getting, getting a lot tougher in there and, and South Al uh, is a part of that, but it also means that, you know, they're, they're going to need to be ready to compete with the the rest of the Sun Belt If, if it's going to be, uh, you know, an improved league. And there are the kind of league that in theory should be helped by know having seniors back because uh, generally that that's a a league that when you're good is when you're old uh and you know that that's true for most of the leagues around the country but they they fall into that as well and uh you know so if there are going to be some older teams in the sunbelt this next year and i assume that there will be uh it's going to behoove you to to be one of those kinds of teams
2: I think you're right about the the reliever thing. I was just kind of looking it up. But the last guy they had like that was Zach Green, um, although he wasn't on those really good teams. But I, I think you're right about that. I went back and looked at the 2016 team, and this was kind of, I think this was the the specific team that I was kind of thinking of, where they had four starting pitchers who started at least 13 games, all of whom threw 71 and a third innings or more. Um, you know, they had Kevin Hill and Randy Bell on that team, both had ERAs under three. So. that's kind of the the, the prototypical South Al team I was thinking of there. That was also the, you know, an offense that Travis Swaggerty was still around and Cole Billingsley, Brendan Donovan, Jared Barnes, Drula Bounty, you know, a lot of guys that if you follow Sunbelt baseball and South Al specifically, you're you're very familiar with. So um, that was, that was a a very good team there. The thing about South Al too is they're a program and and you and I had this offline conversation, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago or so um, when I was actually um, working on another project where I just had to look at some South Owl stuff and uh, they program wise, if you didn't necessarily know any better, like South Al pro the South Al program would surprise you with how successful they've been historically like this. I can confidently say, unless you were someone who lives in Mobile, is connected to South Alabama, or is just really clued into Sunbelt baseball South Alabama is a better program than you think they are. And especially historically, when you really start to get back into the years when they had, you know, John Lieber and Luis Gonzalez and PJ Walters at some point. I mean, they, they've really put a lot of players into pro baseball through this program. Most recently, you know, Travis Swaggerty and even Wilson will be there before too much longer. But also, just they were very, very consistent for a long period of time. And I think a lot of the, they built up a lot of history and a lot of goodwill that I think will keep them, their floor is always going to be pretty high, and I guess is what I'm getting at there. And I think, they're an advantage at Mobile's a nice place to be as far as recruiting talent goes. Um, you know, there, there are certainly better places. Mobile's not the biggest place, but there there's talent down there in the deep South. They've got that. The facility is good. The history is good. Obviously Mark Calvey um, is a successful coach. It's a coaching staff. Um, you know, some pieces of which have been around for a long time, going back to Steve Kittrell. Um, you know, so it's, it's an experienced coaching staff. Um, Alan Lucky specifically is a coach I'm thinking of. He was there. He's a guy I spoke with actually for the turf story that I, that I put on the last issue of the magazine. He's been there since Steve Kittrell was the coach there. So there's that, that lineage there. They just got a lot of things working for them that kind of helps them have that high floor. So they're a program that's in a good spot where even in down years, and they've had some recently, the down years are still going to be about 500 overall, probably just over 500 in Sunbelt play and they're probably not a team you necessarily want to see in the Sunbelt tournament because you know they, they could do some damage if they put it together and in their really good years they're a team they used to flirt with hosting they've done that less so lately uh, that's college baseball for you though um, you know these types of conferences aren't putting teams in host position as often as they used to we, we beat that horse to death in terms of talking about it but um, but even in their really, really good years, they're a two seed in the regional. They're a team that has what it takes to get through a regional if things break right. Um, and that's the South Alabama program. So I, when you go into any year, even when they have question marks like I think they do pitching wise in 2021, I think you can assume a lot about what South Alabama is going to be and just know that you know, the floor is pretty high and the ceiling is going to be a little variable, but you to a certain degree know what you're going to get. This is not a program that's really probably ever going to bottom out. And that really bodes well for their opportunities to put themselves in position to get back into the postseason in any given year.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, Mark Calvey has done a good job at, you know, building something there and and building on what was already there. You know, it's not a place that he had to build from scratch, but he's done a good job at at taking them, uh, you know, to a point where they're one of the premier teams in in the sun building. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that that's going to continue. It, we'll just see what they look like in uh, in 2021 and uh, and moving forward. That you know, if you can produce Travis Swaggerty and Ethan Wilson once every three years, if you can keep doing that, you know, you're in, you're in a pretty good spot. So, uh, you know, at least from a, a finding talent uh, perspective, which you know, shout out to, to recruiting coordinator Chris Perthrow, um, You know, South Alabama has has that going forward, and uh, the rest of it you know, typically follows from there. So, uh, if, if they keep doing that, they're, they're going to keep, uh, continue on, on the, the path as, as one of the better teams in that conference and, uh, a a team to watch as, you know, regionals come around year in and year out. All right. So that is going to do it, uh, for us here on this edition of the baseball America college podcast, uh, before, before we go, uh, hopefully you guys, um, You can subscribe to the Baseball America podcast if you are not on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. uh, You can find us. Please, please subscribe. Please rate. Please review if you can. Uh, It it helps us a lot, uh, and it helps other people to find the podcast as well. So we really appreciate it. Uh, You can find us and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy. BA and While it is now the summer, obviously there continues to be a lot of college baseball content uh, throughout the week on BaseballAmerica.com. So I'd encourage you to check all of that out there as well. Thank you again to Ethan Wilson for joining us here today on the podcast. Thank you to Joe. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.